Hello, everyone, and welcome to the inaugural episode of the Believe in Nets podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, your one-stop shop for everything happening across the sports and entertainment world. I'm your host, Eric Slater, Brooklyn Nets beat reporter for ClutchPoints.com, and I'm going to be coming back every week with episodes recapping Nets games and all the latest developments surrounding the team, and we are kicking off the pod recapping a much-needed Brooklyn win, 109-102 over the Orlando Magic to reach 500 for the second time this season and no other way to start it. This was the Kevin Durant game, an all-time two-way performance from the fourth-year net, 45 points on 19 of 24 shooting, 3 of 5 from 3, and this was KD willing a Nets team to victory down the stretch. Brooklyn led by one point after a sloppy first half, 11 turnovers that turned into 15 magic points in that half. Durant answered with 28 points on 12 of 13 shooting in the final two periods, and and the, the most impressive thing about this performance was the efficiency. 24 shots for Kevin Durant in this performance, 45 points. That is the second fewest ever attempted during a 45 performance in NBA history. And Durant said after the game that, you know, his confidence in his shot making allows him to play within the flow of the offense. When he's having a shooting performance like this, he doesn't have to get outside of what the Nets are trying to do. It allows other teammates to get involved. And that's something that he actually spoke about post game. We have a quick soundbite on. I'll just keep playing within the flow because, I mean, respectfully, I feel like I'm always on. You know, I feel like I always, even if I'm not making shots that night, I feel like my jump shot is is always sharp. So, um, you know, I don't want to get in the way of the game too much by just putting my head down and scoring because teams can make adjustments. They might start doubling me now. So I just got to see how the game is being played, see how the defense is being played, what my teammates are doing as well. So, you know, it's a lot I'm thinking about out there, but it's a fun, it's a fun mental game that I play. And, you know, this is in line with what Durant has been doing this season. The efficiency from KD is off the charts. He scored 25-plus points in 20 of 22 games to start the year. He leads the league in field goal percentage among players attempting 18 or more shots per game, 54.8%, which is really ridiculous given the fact that most of his shots are coming from mid-range or longer jump shots. He also ranks second in the league in true shooting percentage among 57 NBA players attempting 14 or more shots per game. And, you know, the thing about Kevin Durant in this performance is he was navigating this Orlando defense with ease and he was getting to his spots, getting to wherever he wanted to, and he was doing it in a variety of ways. You know, post-ups and fadeaways from the post, turnarounds in the mid-range, driving to the basket, pulling up from three, little floaters off the glass off drives. The degree of difficulty on some of the shots that he's hitting are just off the charts. You know, you saw Paulo Boncaro come in and he was guarding Durant in the post and Durant hit a few turnarounds where Boncaro just threw his hands up like, you know, there's nothing else I can do. And that's a recurring theme and something we see from defenders all the time who are guarding Durant. And he keeps doing it. And the really impressive thing about this Durant performance was that the conversation obviously is going to surround the scoring. It was incredible. But this was an all-around two-way performance. And to see somebody go off and have this type of scoring night but also bring that same energy to the defensive end was unbelievable. I mean, you saw him Ding up Paulo Boncaro, guarding Franz Wagner. Some really talented players had an emphatic block of Wagner coming all the way across the lane. And he's doing this every possession on both ends of the court to sustain that energy for the entire game. It was one of the more impressive things that you're ever going to see from an NBA superstar. And Durant's been doing it. I mean, he's had a few games where the energy on defense looked like he was lacking a little bit. That Philadelphia game, maybe a little bit in the Indiana loss on Friday down the stretch. But for the most part, he's been locked 
locked in on defense. And there was a stat posted on Twitter about the efficient field goal percentage that he's allowing when he's guarding opposing offensive players. And it's one of the better in the league. So for Kevin Durant to be this locked in on defense while putting up these monstrous numbers on offense, I think it really speaks to just the level of engagement that he has this year. Coming off that trade request, obviously there were a lot of questions surrounding whether he was going to rescind it, whether he was going to be willing to step back into this net situation that he clearly wanted out of. But to his credit, he's done it. And that's what a lot of people said. You know, he's a hooper. He wants to play. He loves basketball. And he's come in. And despite all that noise in the summer, he has really been the most invested net on this team, it seems like, and is really trying to do everything he can to will this team to victory. And he spoke about it in that extended uh, interview with Chris Haynes about how he's enjoying the process of playing with this Nets team. And while there are some issues, Ben Simmons went out in this game, something you want to touch on later. It's really starting to come together a little bit, even though against some lesser competition, but you're starting to see the vision of what this Nets team hoped it could be. And honestly, this is why... Over the summer, when all these trade packages are being floated for KD, whether it's the Phoenix Suns headlined by Aiton, whether it's Toronto withholding Scotty Barnes, whether it's whoever, this is why you don't trade KD for a whole bunch of mid. Because KD is a generational type player, a pantheon all-time great, where in the league, you need one of these cornerstone franchise players to even have a shot at a title. And if you're not getting equal value back in return, which it's going to be nearly impossible to one for one this season, it's really tough to trade him. I'm not saying the Nets won't trade him down the line, but this is the reason over the summer when the Nets weren't getting the value that they wanted or honestly anywhere even near it, they said, we're not trading this guy. There's absolutely no way. And honestly, early on, all KD has done, you know, he's getting older, 34 years old, but all he's done is prove why his trade value should still be in that upper echelon, honestly, monstrous package type, something like we've never seen for a player of this caliber being traded. And he's proving it day in and day out. Going on to some of the other nets in this, I think Nick Claxton is the next guy I want to touch on because he really was the difference maker for this team alongside Kevin Durant down the stretch. 17 points, 13 rebounds, five blocks, seven of 10 shooting for Clax. And this was a great game for the fourth-year center. Orlando obviously undermanned without Wendell Carter Jr. and Mo Bamba, but Claxton took full advantage and his energy and physicality jumped off the screens all game. Five offensive boards, that was a game high. His three blocks were also a game high. But what was really impressive about, about Clax was the timeliness of what he was doing in this effort and the clutch performance down the stretch. Claxon scored the final five points of this game with Orlando mounting a comeback. Every This has been the case with the Nets all season. Every time you think the Nets are about to separate, go the easy route, get the win, good night. They let the other team back in the game and the other team starts to mount a comeback, whether it's by stupid plays, whether it's by turnovers, defensive breakdowns, Nets going cold from three, whatever. And that's what Orlando started to do down the stretch of this game to Kevin Durant's credit from about the, I'd say from about the six minute mark to the two minute mark when he came back in the game, he completely kept the Nets afloat and kept that four to eight point cushion. Orlando cut it to four with about two minutes left and Claxton scored five straight points, a tip in Kyrie Irving drives. It goes off the glass on a floater. He elevates above the rim, tips it in huge basket. Then the next possession, Nets get a stop. 
Actually, Joe Harris misses a three, and then Bull Bull, who had an incredible game. My God, Bull Bull. Drains a three on the other end to cut it back to four. Kyrie Irving drives again. Claxton's in the dunker spot. Does he stay there? Does he watch? Does he stand? No, he stays active. He keeps moving along the baseline. He gets to the left block, collects a bounce pass, turns around, lays it up, gets fouled, doesn't go. But he knocks down one of two free throws, three of five for the night. And obviously, that's a big development for Claxton, giving his struggles there last season and into this one. And then on the final possession, grabs a rebound off great defense from KD on a Franz Wagner step back three, gets it to KD, who pushes it to Kyrie, and then Claxton runs all the way up the floor, collects the lead pass, throws down the dunk to seal it, hangs on the rim, runs to the bench, caps off an unbelievable performance in the final three possessions of the game. And these are the kinds of things you want to see from Nick's Claxton. Perimeter defense, all game, it's outstanding. Switching, overwhelming ball handlers, going down low, guarding in the post, staying active on the offensive glass. The Nets have a tendency, Jock Lawrence talked about it at length, standing and watching when shots go off on the offensive or defensive, but it really stood out on the offensive glass for Claxton today. But staying active, moving, fighting for position, getting putbacks, getting those fouls, trips to the line, all of it, and then keep moving and finding open spots without the ball, which is what we saw direct Claxton do on that final possession. Honestly, throughout the game, when these guys are driving, he's not standing there and watching. He's not watching KD saying, oh my God, KD's having this unbelievable historic performance. He's moving. He's finding those spots. He's finding those crevices with defenders, helping onto Duran or onto Kyrie Irving, and he's developing these easy opportunities. Claxton's leading the league in true shooting percentage at something over 70% this season. Obviously, a lot of those are dunks, but those dunks are a product of his activity in the half-court offense on the ball, and that activity has extended to the offensive glass, to rebounding, and a lot of the Nets games this season. And it's something they're going to need for him to do at a high level moving forward, given the fact that they're undersized and are about to get even a little more undersized, it looks like, at least for the next couple games with Ben Simmons out. Moving on to Kyrie Irving, 20 points, 9 for 17 from the field, 3 of 5 from 3. And Kyrie is really starting to find his groove after coming back from that suspension. He's getting to his spots. He's hitting shots. The most encouraging thing for me is that the three-point stroke in the shooting is starting to come around. He's 14 of 32. That's 44% over his last four games. And the defense has really picked up for Kyrie on ball. Are there still a few poor decisions off ball? Are there still a few lapses from time to time? Sure. But the last game against Portland and this game in a back-to-back, -back, Kyrie's on-ball defense has been really strong. And I think that's a really encouraging sign for a team that honestly in the backcourt is absolutely abhorred at the point of attack guarding perimeter scorers. And Kyrie putting in this kind of effort, you know, it really allows the Nets to stay afloat against some of these more talented guards if he just gives this extra effort. Because it, we've seen with Kyrie, is he ever going to be a great defender? No. He's 6'2", 6'3", he's undersized, he's got a slight frame, but... He has the quickness, the twitchiness, the athleticism, the precise hands to at least make these guys work. And he's doing that in these last couple of games. And it's something that the Nets need, absolutely, given how much they struggle to defend these scores. So that's been really nice to see. And, you know, Kyrie's really just he's striking the balance between being a supporting off ball player and creating on his own. And that's something that's going to be difficult. And, you know, a lot of that balance has to do with Ben Simmons. Kyrie talked about a post game that, you know, Ben Simmons, we're losing. If he's out, we're losing our point guard. We're losing our point forward. Generates so many opportunities in transition, so many opportunities in the half court with what he can do facilitating the ball. But when Ben Simmons obviously is doing that, 
Kyrie's relegated to an off-ball role, which he's been good at throughout his career. So I'm not saying he can't do it. He's an elite shooter, something I don't think he gets enough credit for is probably above 40% from three for his career. Very good catch and shoot, uh, three-point shooter, even though it hasn't happened this season, starting to come on as of late. But Kyrie playing off the ball and then transitioning back to trying to be a playmaking uh, a playmaking role and creating and doing things off the dribble when the Nets need him to, it's a very difficult thing to bounce back and forth from. And then Ben Simmons is in. You got some lineups where Ben Simmons isn't in. You have to do that. Now you have Ben Simmons out with potentially a knee injury that he missed four games with earlier this season. And that's a very difficult thing for Kyrie Irving to do, to find that balance between, for most of his career, being a star player and having the ball in his hands. Obviously, he played off ball with James Harden a little bit, but he does such incredible things with the ball in his hands. For him to be able to bounce back and forth between those roles is something that it shouldn't be undervalued how difficult that is to do. And I think that Kyrie has the skill set to do it. And it's just a matter of him fully buying into that role and being comfortable on a lot of nights, being somewhat of not an afterthought, but somewhat being in the background, but still generating those opportunities, being active off the ball, getting to the right spots and doing a lot of that. And I think today, or last night was a really encouraging game and performance and what we've seen from Kyrie in that regard. And also on the defensive end, keeping moving forward to Joe Harris, season high, 17 points for Joe, only two of eight from three. Those struggles continue. But overall, this was a positive performance for Joe. I mean, the three-point stroke still isn't there, which has been and continues to be concerning. There was one stretch in this game where Joe had three straight wide open threes. He missed the first two and then got another one back in transition. And he missed that one as well, but got fouled once the free throw line hit all three free throws. But the three point shooting, it, you know, it's been concerning because a lot of these misses over the recent stretch are Joe being short on these shots. And a lot of them are wide open. These are shot. Joe Harris has had cold stretches in the past. Obviously, everybody knows what happened in Milwaukee, but typically he does not miss wide open three-point shots the way he has been. And he's been missing these for a extended period now. I think that's five or six games. And Jock Vaughn was asked pregame, you know, how much of this is physical for Joe? Is this still coming back from the offseason ankle surgery? And he was, you know, he didn't answer a question on, on that. Obviously doesn't want to make excuses, was non-committal, said, you know, I, I don't know anything about the physical, you know, I'm not going to make excuses there, but said that he has confidence in Joe Harris moving forward. And he's too good of a player not to find that stroke. And while he struggled shooting in this game, he found other ways to impact the win. He drove to the basket. He ran the floor and his defense has really improved after a few rough games. We saw what happened in Philadelphia with them hunting him off switches, putting him onto Tobias Harris, Joe also just covering Tobias straight up on some of those possessions and honestly got abused in the second half. But his defense, he started off the year strong, has come back a little bit in these last couple of games. He's, you know, he's more of a stout guy than you realize. He can guard in the post. He can move his feet against most guys. Is he going to D up the best players in the league? No, but he's serviceable. And we haven't hadn't seen that the last few games. It's, it had kind of disappeared, but it's starting to come back a little bit. So that's really nice to see. And, you know, Jock Vaughn left Joe in the game down the stretch to finish. And he spoke of that about that decision post game to roll with Joe in the final minutes, despite his struggles as of late. Got a quick soundbite on that. Yeah, just overall, great to uh, go game the game with him. He finishes the game uh, with that group out there. I think it immediately shows the confidence and that we have in him, the trust that we have in him, even when he's not making shots. He's going to be in the right place, do the right thing, be in the right coverage majority of the time. And, and that's important uh, in, in team sports. 
the shots are going to come around. Uh, I think we all believe that it's going to come around. And uh, at least I do. And I really like that from Jock Vaughn because, you know, if you're in the Nets Twitterverse, you know how reactionary everybody is. Trade so-and-so as if they're struggling. You know, it, it's quick reaction, stuff like that. But Joe Harris is a guy you're seeing a lot of calls for his minutes to be cut, for people to trade him, which makes no sense given the fact that his value is at an all-time low right now. So there's no reason to try to trade him. But... This is a guy that you need. And, you know, Jock Vaughn said it. We, we're going to need Joe Harris. And that's completely true. So benching Joe Harris or relegating him to just, in a, you know, a tiny role is not the right decision for this Nets team right now. I mean, if these struggles continue for a long extended period, that's a different discussion about is this really what Joe Harris is going to be this season. But for now, we're 22 games into the season. Joe Harris is a guy that if the Nets want to have any chance of being a high-level playoff team, they need Joe Harris. Because he is an elite shooter who, as I said before, is at least competent defensively. Seth Curry, we saw what he did last night with 20, was the game prior against Portland with 29 points on seven of 10 shooting from three. He's an elite offensive secondary creator. But with his size at six foot two and a guard like Kyrie Irving in the backcourt, Seth Curry is going to get played off the floor a lot in the playoffs and especially down the stretch of games. And if you want elite shooting out there, you need Joe Harris with that little bit of added size, that little bit of added physicality on defense to be able to survive, especially if you're going to play Ben Simmons at center, because that's something that we've had, we talked a lot about is Ben Simmons and Nick Claxton. It's been a little better out of late as of late, but honestly, I do not think that that pairing is sustainable. So if you're going to go small with Ben Simmons at center in a small ball lineup, you cannot go double, triple down and be even smaller with Seth Curry in the backcourt because what the Nets want, Jock Vaughn sp spoke about it, is you know Simmons out there surrounded by four shooters pushing the pace. That's you know a vision of what he likes. And sure, that's great, but you can't be that small defensively. And that's where Joe Harris is so key because he can offer that shooting, the same shooting as Seth Curry. Coming into the season, they were both the exact same from three for their careers at 43.9%. And if he can get back to that, he gives you that added size and he gives you that added physicality while still having that three-point shooting to be able to maybe survive defensively. And, you know, same thing with Royce O'Neal. You know, Royce is a he's a good post defender. Obviously, he struggled at the point of attack along with the rest of the Nets team. But he's not the same kind of shooter that Joe Harris is. And you need that from Joe. So the calls for Joe to be benched, the calls for Joe to his minutes to be cut altogether, the calls to trade Joe. Everybody needs to pump the brakes. Joe Harris, obviously, I'm not, I'm not saying it's not concerning. I'm not going to put my head in the sand. But this is a player that the Nets are going to need down the stretch of the season and allowing him to continue to play, keeping his confidence, not benching him is what the Nets need to do to try to get him back to his old form. Continuing on some of the other guys, Royce O'Neal, five points, one of five from three in this one had a couple of bad turnovers. We saw KD at that huge block that I touched on earlier. The ball caroms out to Royce O'Neal. He comes down, he tries to throw like a little drop back behind the back bounce, like something that we see, Ben Simmons do from time to time in transition and he throws it out of bounds. Those are just plays where the Nets have all the momentum. Royce, you got to know your role. You got to get the ball to KD, get the ball to Kyrie, get whoever to initiate the offense. We see too many of those decisions sometimes. And I don't fault Royce for it because he's been asked to do a lot more from a playmaking standpoint. And he's been successful with it in some games, had 
10 assists in the win over Portland a few weeks ago. I think posted his first triple-double of his career. Had five assists in this one, but that's obviously outside of his role, and you're going to see some issues there. Um, you know, Still grabbed 10 rebounds, as I said, had five assists in this win. Had a few nice plays where he's coming up to set screens for KD and getting the ball out of the short roll. Had a nice sequence where he caught it, kicked it up top to Kyrie, gave a little shovel pass to the corner, and Joe Harris knocked down one of his two threes. But... You know, this is what Royce is. He's going to have some games. I think he's shooting a career high from three this year, 41, 40% from three, something along those lines. But this is what Royce is. You're going to have games where he's going to be hot. He's going to hit his shots. He's going to offer some creation. You're going to have games where, you know, he's still going to play hard, hit the glass, play hard defensively. But sometimes he's going to fade a little bit with his shooting and it's not going to be consistent. You're going to have these one for five, one for six, one for seven nights where he's turning the ball over a little bit, trying to create on his own. It's just the kind of offensive player that he is. He's not used to being outside of that corner shooter transition role player that he was in Utah for those years. So, you know, not a disastrous performance from Royce, not a good performance, but something, a performance that you're going to see throughout this year mixed in with some really high level shooting three and D performances. Seth Curry, three points, one of four from the field, one of three from three. This is the first back-to-back that Seth Curry played in all season. And I think it really showed, you know, he wasn't able to, you know, create the same offensively. And I think a lot of that has to do with the size and the length for Orlando. I mean, this is a really, really big Orlando team with Paulo Banquero, Bull Bull, Franz Wagner, uh, Caleb Houston from Michigan, a few of these other guys that they brought in. It's a long athletic team. And Seth Curry had some trouble with that. We saw one play, tried to take a step back on Bull Bull, who swatted it, went the other way, threw in a transition dunk. So, you know, not a great game for Seth Curry after what we saw him do the night prior with 29 points on seven of 10 shooting from three in the win over Portland. But he played 25 minutes in this game. And I think that's a positive sign for Seth coming off that ankle surgery. And it was really nice to see him be able to get out there, move around the court, even though he didn't play well, didn't get a lot of shots off. I don't think that was really anything along the lines of him being significantly hindered with that ankle. So it was good to see him get out there, get up and down the floor. But you know, like I said, with this size of Orlando on offense and defense, these are the games that, you know, Joe Harris, you really need him because Seth Curry, great player, but more of a gadget player. Some of these games, he's not going to be able to do the things that you need him just because of his size and his lack of physicality. And that's where you need some of these other guys to step up. Edmund Sumner, seven minutes, zero points, O of two shooting. And this has been a pretty rough recent stretch offensively with limited opportunities for Edmund after that hot game against the Knicks a few weeks back and another uh, follow-up performance against the Clippers in two wins where he played really well. But, you know, Sumner, his lack of shooting, his lack of offensive production makes it really tough to, to have him out there with some of these groups, especially with Nick Claxton and Ben Simmons often playing as non-shooters or Honestly, just either way, because it's tough to have non-shooters out there and a guy like Edmund Sumner, because you see when he's out there, a lot of the time, people doubling KD, the ball's naturally making its way through its rotations and makes its way to Edmund Sumner in the corner. And he's either missing those shots as of late, or he's not confident enough to take the shot and he ends up driving and he has a tough time creating from those positions a lot of the time. So it makes it really tough for him because... The Nets could use Edmund Sumner because, as I said, between Seth Curry, Patty Mills, Kyrie Irving, some of these other guys, Cam Thomas, they are a terrible point of attack defensive team. And Edmund Sumner at six foot, 
uh, four with a six foot six or seven inch wingspan, elite athleticism, really moves well, great speed, has ability to be a high level point of attack defender and above average in that area. But you can't have it all in this lack of offensive production and offensive ability when the ball makes it to him in these wide open spots. It makes it really difficult to have him out there. And that's why he played seven minutes. That's why you're seeing zero points. And that's why you're seeing have some kind of awkward drives and sequences when he tries to go to the basket. So, you know, some there's a guy I think they'll try to continually go back to at points when they need a little bit more on defense, but he struggles from three. And given the fact that he's not going to play consistently due to that, it's tough for him to gain a rhythm and really gain any confidence. So it's just a difficult situation for him on the bench right now. Rounding that with Cam Thomas, 10 minutes, two points, one of three shooting, one assist. You know, Cam showed some promise with Kyrie out earlier in the year. Ben Simmons also out in a point guard role and honestly taking on a real big role. But it's going to be an uphill battle for him to cement himself in this rotation for several reasons. The main two, I'd say, are defense. As I just touched on, Cam is not a good point of attack defender or a defender at you know in any right. So that makes it really tough to have him out there because he gets beat by these better guards. He doesn't provide a lot of um, resistance. And honestly, the decision-making and understand of defensive positionings and rotations as it wasn't in his rookie year, is not there this season. I talked about it uh, on Twitter at, at, during the Portland game. Cam has these stretches. He's done, he didn't do it last night, which was nice to see, but he has these stretches where he always likes to help from the strong corner, which if you know defensive rotations in basketball, it's a big no-no. If you want, you can stunt and get back, but Cam likes to fully slide his body and give up these wide-open corner threes when he doesn't have to. And that's just one example of the many of him just not understanding defensive positioning, defensive rotations, and it makes it really difficult for him to play out there, especially given on offense. Some of the decision-making isn't there either. He can create late in the shot clock. He offers a nice secondary ball handler, is really good in the mid-range, but his three-point shot is not there. Missed, took one three yesterday and it was late in the shot clock. A pull-up missed it. It's not there. And also, just when he drives, he misses some passes that he honestly shouldn't miss. He had one play yesterday that really stood out to me in his 10 minutes where he drove. He had Joe Harris wide open in the right corner, wide open, with two defenders coming at him on the drive. He didn't throw it. He kept going to the basket, I think dribbled back into the opposite corner. Eventually, it made its way back to Joe for a late shot clock three, which he hit. But that's just an example of Cam, some of these decisions, a little bit of tunnel vision on offense, not understanding where he needs to be on defense. And those are the things for a Nets team that's struggling a lot to do the little things and just be confident and sound on both ends of the floor. That's what you're going to be real hesitant to put in there if you're Jock Vaughn, which made it really surprising to me that the Nets opted to roll with Cam in the lineup to start the fourth quarter. They went Kylie, Seth, Cam, Joe Harris, and Clax. And the lineup struggled a lot, as I thought it would. I tweeted it out when I saw them come out there that I'm surprised that Cam is out there right now. I'm not sure what he's done to deserve to be out there in the fourth quarter of a close game. And the Nets, you know, it, it's a lot more difficult with Utah and Ben Simmons out, Utah Watanabe, who they said had some imaging done on his hamstring yesterday. But it's a lot more difficult with them out because you have less options. But they love these guard-heavy lineups that are going to struggle defensively. And I understand the premise because the premise has often been that they can play with a lot more pace, have a lot more shooting out there. But Cam, you know, it's he's not offering that shooting, and he's really, really tough out there on defense. So that makes it really difficult. Cam Thomas, we'll see what he can offer down the stretch. But 
it's it's not a great situation for him in terms of how young he is and the things that he struggles with and where this Nets team wants to be and the things they're struggling with this year. So overall thoughts to round out the episode. Nice win. It was good to see Clax and Joe contribute the way they did. Joe, you know, still struggling from three, but offering a little more. Just getting to see the ball go through the hoop. I think that's nice for him. Kyrie finding his groove, getting comfortable, might need to do a little bit more now with Ben Simmons off the ball in terms of ball handling duties. And obviously KD off the charts, unbelievable performance, efficiency, leadership, everything going into it. But, you know, it sticks out to me in this Nets win that they still are struggling in a lot of the same areas and they just need more consistency. You have these stretches. I touched on their 11 turnovers in the first half, 15 magic points. And a lot of those turnovers are just lazy, careless. Some of them are KD. KD at six. I'm not going to harp on it because he, you know, had 45 points and did what he did. But KD, Royce O'Neal, some from Kyrie, just these careless turnovers and lack of value with the ball in their hands. And it's something that Jacques Vaughn had talked about pregame and the day prior of valuing each possession and that really being a constant talking point and thing that he's harping to this team. And they did not do it in the first half of this game. And you had these stretches where the Nets turn the ball over. The Nets have breakdowns defensively. There's some, like, there's a couple of examples where the Nets are up by five at the end of the half, the end of the first half. They have a chance to go into the half. They're up by five. They let up a basket. Then they're up by three. They have the ball, you know, chance to get a last shot. Kyrie gets the ball back late in the clock, dribbles it off his foot. It goes out of bounds. Then Paulo Bancaro gets the ball, whizzes right past Kevin Durant, goes down the lane with nobody even a thought of stepping in and lays it in to cut it to one. And that's a four-point swing at the end of the half, something that can't happen. Another example, four minutes left in the game. They're trying to sustain this lead. They're trying to just, you know, dissuade this, this Orlando comeback. Gary Harris cuts to the right side, moves around two other offensive players. Royce O'Neal's covering and he loses them. They don't know if they're switching. They don't know what. Runs uncontested under the hoop, gets the pass and lays it in to cut the lead to four. Things that can't happen. Richard Jefferson said it on the broadcast. For a veteran team that's trying to go where the Nets are going, these lapses, these stretches of inconsistent basketball, whether it's just from a care for the basketball standpoint, shock selection standpoint, you know, on-ball defense, off-ball uh, miscommunications on defense. These are the things that are showing up far too often. And yes, the Nets have strung together some wins lately, but against, you know, not some not so great teams. And until I see them, you know, really buckle down and get rid of some of these incompetent stretches of basketball that they have, it's hard to believe in this team as a true contender. But we're getting to do or die time with this Nets team. I know it's it's tough to say that early in the season, but the Nets are 11 and 11. And if they're going to start, you know, making their way up the standings, I think they're only two or two and a half games out of the fourth seed in the East. So they have ability to get back in there, but they really need to start creating some of these good habits and winning and stacking some basketball games if they're going to get back into it. They have an eight game stretch coming up that Washington, Toronto, Boston, Charlotte, Indiana, Washington, Toronto, Detroit. And that takes you right past. December 15th, which is the deadline when a lot of players can be traded. And then January 15th, a lot more. But I think 33% of the players in the league are going to become trade eligible on those two dates. So it, it says a lot about where the Nets are going to be at, whether they're looking like a team that is going to have any legitimate title aspirations. I don't think that the Nets are trading KD if they look you know somewhat competent or have any sliver of hope. But if I'm Sean Marks, how willing am I to invest significant further assets in this team? And I think that this eight-game stretch 
leading up to those dates where these players become trade eligible is going to be very telling and honestly make or break what we're going to see from this Nets team. They need to start, you know, getting serious about some of these games and it needs to start right now. There's no more time to waste. So we'll see with the Nets welcoming Washington on Wednesday, see if they can get over 500 for the first time this season. That does it for the inaugural episode of the Believe in Nets podcast. I am Eric Slater. You can find all of my updates on Twitter at Eric Slater underscore. A lot of articles coming out on clutchpoints.com from me, recapping games, injuries, giving analysis on the Nets roster construction on latest developments with them. Going to be doing that and giving more on episodes every week here on the Believe in Nets podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, your one-stop shop for everything in the sports and entertainment world. Eric Slater signing off, and I'll talk to you guys soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.